From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. The key thing about these ransomware attacks that a lot of individuals need to know is that ransomware can be prevented, but it starts with a lot of that very good, uh, those hygiene items uh, that some organizations have plans in place to execute on, but but need to improve and shrink the gap between our, our policies and procedures that we have in place and actually function, um, you know, on the day to day. Simple things like patching and making sure our systems stay up to date, because that's one of the most common ways ransomware makes it into a network and infiltrates is it's taking advantage of something that's unpatched and unfixed in an environment. That's Rob Lemania Ryder talking about what medical practices can do to protect themselves against cyber attacks. We'll hear more from Rob in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. RingCentral brings staff, patients, and payers together with compliant cloud communications and a modern call center on any device. A free new ebook from RingCentral and MGMA focuses specifically on the payer provider relationship. With all too familiar patient reviews, must see statistics, and a transformative case study, this ebook illustrates how easily cloud communications can bring patients, providers, and payers together. Download your copy at go.ringcentral.com slash mgma-healthcare. According to a recent report from Black Book Research, 73% of healthcare organizations report their infrastructures are unprepared to respond to cyber threats. Our guest today is Rob Lemania Ryder, Chief Information Security Officer at FNTS. Rob will explain the threats to medical practices and tell what practice leaders can do to keep their information safe. Rob, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Looking at your bio, you are the Chief Information Security Officer at FNTS. Tell us about that organization and tell us a little bit about your role there. FNTS is a cloud-managed and security services provider founded way back in 1995, and it's a wholly-owned subsidiary of First National Nebraska, which happens to be the holding company for the the largest private bank in the United States, uh, First National Bank of Omaha. And that gives us a very strong heritage in uh, serving regulated industries, you know, namely finance and healthcare. So at FNTS, we advise, build, migrate, and manage and secure platforms, everything from your IBM I and Z series through open systems on virtualization platforms and traditional data center technologies and public cloud uh, environments uh, across several industry verticals and customer bases. And as you've mentioned, I'm the Chief Information Security Officer. So as part of my role, I lead and guide my team to both help secure, guide, and protect uh, the organization itself, 
as well as our service delivery for customers. And throughout the, the nature of our day-to-day, we also find ourselves consulting and advising our, our customers that may or may not have a strong uh, or, or deep security bench strength uh, spanning several platforms. Mm-hmm. How long have you been at FNTS? It will be six years in June. Okay. Just trying to get some context then for our listeners. What Have you guys been in the cloud and had this strong cloud presence during that entire six years, or has that evolved uh, since you've been there? What's that been like? Good question. Yes, we've, we've actually had uh, a FNTS, let's call it a, an FNTS-powered uh, cloud. So we, we own and manage our own uh, data centers and cloud uh, and have been for you know a few decades now. Uh, we also branched out within the last five years into public cloud. So through my entire tenure, we've, we've had multiple presences, both owned by FNTS and then managed by, by FNTS uh, in uh, several cloud environments. Okay. So you guys, as you said, you're very involved with the different regula- regulated industries. Um, one of those regulations that we've seen from the healthcare side has been telehealth during the pandemic. We've seen some of those restrictions loosened. We've seen, seen people be able to have more and more of those virtual visits, but then that opens up more, um, I guess, opportunities for different breaches and things along those lines. So talk about that for us. Where is your uh, and the company's primary focus been over these last 12, 13 months since so much work has been taking place uh, from a virtual environment? Yeah, the focus of the last, uh, as you mentioned, 12, 13, uh, 14-ish months has primarily been on securely enabling organizations' cloud shift. And I, I think cloud shift since Predominantly, organizations had been examining, focusing, uh, looking at application modernization or looking at new operating models, leveraging some sort of cloud presence to help them in their you know, customer service delivery or internal efficiency gains. And the pandemic, as we've seen, has, has enhanced and uh, you know, caused folks to look at that with you know, greater intensity, the velocity is picked up. So the cloud shift in all forms, whether it's been infrastructure, software as a service or platform as a service has has really increased, right? And coupled with that, our focus has been guidance uh, to those organizations on how to focus those priorities. And recently, as you had mentioned, uh, regulations have have been shifting to accommodate more flexible and and friendly delivery mechanisms for that protected health information. I know recently we saw updates to the HIPAA safe harbor law that uh, allowed organizations to, uh, uh, that that followed industry standard best practices on, on, you know, their their core operations and delivering services to, uh, you know, not be as impacted, you know, in the event of a security breach from a regulatory fine standpoint. And then lastly, the focus has been on staying on top of evolving threats. 
uh, ensuring that our threat models and what adversaries are are are, are shifting their their focus, making sure that we're guiding our customers and staying on top of that so that they're not taken advantage of at some of the weakest points. Mm -hmm. um, your team sent me over some numbers from a recent Black Book research report. One of the statistics that really jumped out at me was that 73% of healthcare organizations report their infrastructures are unprepared to respond to cyber threats. That number definitely got my attention. Um, tell us about that. Tell us what's going on out there and you're uh, working with healthcare organizations and, and really where those threats are coming from. Yeah, with, with the, you know, as you mentioned, nearly three quarters of healthcare organizations reported that they're unprepared to respond to cyber threats. I think that's a reflection on the complexity of the current environment. First, IT and to an extent, IT security, uh, largely, largely cost centers within uh, organizations. So organizations have aligned some of those resources to meet what they what they think are uh, you know some of some of the the minimum requirements which pales in comparison to where you see your threats your threats are are um, constantly evolving they're targeting either the latest and greatest breaches or sorry uh, vulnerabilities that that are being announced or they're launching sophisticated you know, phishing or uh, spam attacks to employees. And if you don't have strong uh, awareness programs, for example, that are effective in measuring and monitoring and educating employees, then that can be a constant weak point. And so you see a, a resource struggle between internal teams capabilities and all of these points of avenue that adversaries are trying to exploit. Again, whether that's you know, email, whether it's now um, virtual uh, uh, health information consumption, uh, folks targeting consumers themselves and all points in between. And it, it, it really goes back to, again, the, the resource uh, mismatch uh, between what healthcare organizations have available to combat the threats and what seems to be, an, you know, almost a, a limitless uh, resource pool from the adversary standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um I want to, we're, we're currently talking through a platform that uses uh, Zoom as its primary, you know, communication method here. There are millions and millions of people across America these last year plus that have been using Zoom or some form like that. When, when this pandemic first hit, people started working remotely. People turned to Zoom in particular, but other platforms as well to communicate. We saw breaches initially. I want to get your just your thoughts on that. Was that something that didn't surprise you when people were able initially to jump into these Zoom calls and kind of photobomb them, so to speak, and, and disrupt those meetings? Was that something you would have predicted? Or what are your thoughts on that? I think that was a natural uh, uh, progression of the rapid shift to cloud services and something that could have been prevented. But as you had mentioned, uh, that the rapid adoption of either the free or no to low cost options that don't have maybe the um, most preferred security settings enabled uh, from the start 
led to a lot of that uh, complication, the, the the Zoom bombing, as you would call it, and, and really listening in on other folks' meetings. Uh, through the, the course of uh, the in, increased usage, we both saw the changes that organizations made to enhance security settings from the start, require passwords and end-to-end -end encryption, all, all of those uh, nuances that were already in some of the more premium uh, paid versions of the applications made their way down to the freely consumable versions. And it's, it, it's little, uh, little settings and, and changes like that that need to become synonymous with how, how we operate and how we consume a variety of, uh, of services today. As consumers, whether we're consuming um, you know, services through, through telehealth or we're accessing financial information, uh, ensuring connections are encrypted, that we're only accessing resources from a trusted and, and safe, secure uh, mechanism that we are using multi-factor or, or, you know, multiple forms of authentication when logging in and, and not reusing passwords, right? All of these little basic hygiene items go a mm -hmm. long way to preventing everything from the Zoom bombing to information uh, loss and disclosure. Okay. I want to go back to that that number from the Black, Bur Black Book Research Report, that 73%. Um, is that broken down at all? The reason I ask is a large number of our listeners are uh, executives and, and leaders who work at medical practices, medical groups. Um, I know that they uh, are often the ones that, that do get targeted because they house um, patient information, patient data. We have seen those held for ransom at times. So how does that break out? Is that really who you're talking about when we say the term healthcare organizations or what are we looking at here? Yeah, great question. The healthcare organizations is really loosely defined uh, under that figure. It's uh, just about any organization over, uh, I, I believe, you know, anywhere between 50 and 100 employees and higher that, that uh, stores, processes, transmits that has, you know, electronic uh, protected health information. So it's a pretty large uh, uh, pool uh, of, um, you know, data points when they're, when they're talking about that. But regardless of the size or the focus within the healthcare industry, a lot of, a lot of organizations face some of those same challenges, right? It could be uh, core applications or core infrastructure may not be able to be patched or updated, or there might be limitations on some of the software on, on what we can control. So then you start to think of how can we layer or wrap security protections or precautions or best practices around that and uh, everything in between. Uh, and so the, the problem is, is still pertinent no matter the organization size and uh, complexity. Uh, it's just the number of resources you have available to uh, focus on some of these uh, ongoing um, challenges. You, you have more at your disposal the larger the organization it is, but uh, that, that also, uh, the number of challenges still, um, you know, increases nearly line linearly. Okay. Um, in, in our house, <laughs> you know, people, people have uh, across the country have binge watch certain shows, certain types of shows. In our house, we have uh, gotten very interested in different types of 
mysteries. <laughs> We've watched a lot of the uh, Scandinavian mysteries and other European mysteries and have really gotten into, you know, forever we, we consumed the whodunits, but now there's, there's been a move toward the whydunits. You know, we, we know who the perpetrator is in many of these cases, but then there's that forensic work to figure out, all right, but why? What was the motivation? And that's where I want to get to from you is why why are people doing this? What are the motivations and, and what are they what are they getting out of this? So we, we know that medical records and medical information happens to be the most sought after uh, on some of the uh, let's call it the, the dark webs, right? Or, or mm -hmm. some of the um, you know, you know, some of the, the sites where, where our information is stolen, I think it, it can go up to as much as $150 per record. Hmm. And when you have an opportunity that uh, there's, there's hundreds or thousands or potentially millions of records uh, right for the taking at certain organizations, you can see how that becomes a, a very large target to, to set, you know, folks that, that want to um, uh, steal that information because, that personal information, your electronic protected health information, uh, could could provide nearly everything uh, to to a, a adversary that would want to commit everything from you know identity theft, insurance fraud, or other follow up scams to those targets. Uh, you know, you contrast that with credit card numbers. You know, those those rarely sell for more than a few dollars, uh, even when those, those function. So all of a sudden now you understand why there's such a what's such a big target, and you also layer on top of that that healthcare breaches themselves cost uh, nearly double uh, on average, right? So you know hair over seven million per breach on average, you know when, when the average is about 3.8 million um, for all industries because of you know the highly sensitive information, uh, the fines uh, due to to regulations and handling patient care facilities such as HIPAA. Mm -hmm. Do you have an example, a case study, anything you could share with us about a cyber attack so we get a better idea uh, from that insider's point of view on, on what this looks like and how it can devastate an organization? You bet. Let's, let's focus on, on ransomware briefly since I know that's a, uh, an attack that several of us uh, have heard and, and uh, you hear it also in the news and, and we can identify with it. And it you know, ransomware itself accounted for just over half of 2020's healthcare breaches. And you, you have uh, in the news, uh, I, I'm trying to think back, uh, last year, I believe it was a, a hospital system in Germany where they reported a, a patient actually passed away from not being able to receive medical services because the hospital systems were uh, taken over by uh, a malware that had encrypted the the hospital's core information system so ransomware it, it was encrypted not being able to be used by the uh, staff the information itself was held ransom hence the name ransomware unless they were to pay uh, in uh, denomination usually uh, that you know bitcoin or that digital currency to attackers in uh, ransomware can take all sorts of, of forms right typically folks will download a compromised email attachment and then execute that file and run that file on a system. 
and that has the potential to run amok on an organization's network. The key thing about these ransomware attacks that a lot of individuals need to know is that ransomware can be prevented, but it starts with a lot of that very good, uh, those hygiene items um, that some organizations have plans in place to execute on, but, but need to improve and shrink the gap between our, our policies and procedures that we have in place and actually function um, you know, on the day-to-day, -day. simple things like patching and making sure our systems stay up to date, because that's one of the most common ways ransomware makes it into a network and infiltrates is, is taking advantage of something that's unpatched and unfixed in an environment. Mm -hmm. Earlier, you mentioned best practices. So you've already identified that, gosh, you know, nearly three-fourths of organizations are uh, at risk. They they're, don't feel like they're completely protected there. So let's, let's really return to those best practices then. Walk us through either a checklist or maybe some first steps that practices can take to make sure that they are uh, safe or at least as safe as they can possibly be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the, the first thing that we're going to talk about with these best practices is administer the obvious. And, and when I say obvious uh, is know where your, your, your most valuable information is on your network, your crown jewels. We wanna start with the very basics. Um, so if you, once you know where that is, we, we ne then we have to establish and enforce policy standards and guidelines. Um, we, we have to find and fix holes and vulnerabilities, and then we have to control the access in an environment. So think the who, what, when, why, and how. And then for our organization, why, we need to guide, assist, and train, and know what to do when you have an incident. So very, very basic items. If you abstract that down to the next layer into, okay, well, that's great. Those are just uh, you know, guidelines on, on what I should do. What does it actually mean in the real world? It means make sure that our information systems are staying up to date and auto update when, when we can. I know a lot of enterprises have more uh, refined processes around updating. We need things like your antivirus or your endpoint protection. You need things like email security protection, uh, spam and phishing, you know, prevention. Um, encrypted communications such as a virtual private network or VPN and, and so forth. So to advise those listening, take advantage of the freely available best practices information, the, the NIST uh, or ISO, or even a high trust, you know, provide a, a common set of uh, controls and guidelines that, that should not supplement your organization from tailoring it to its um, you know, to, to your own organization, but can, can help give you that roadmap on where to start things to think about to implement and, and shore up in the organization. All right. Well, thanks for that. Now, one of the things I've noticed at our company, and, and I've, I've learned this from talking to other uh, practice leaders as well, is that once you have a system in place, it's continuing to upgrade. It's continuing to make sure the measurements and the 
processes that you have in place are working. So what are some of then the main KPIs or other data points or analysis you'd recommend practices look at, be aware of to make sure the security you've put in place is in fact working? That's a great question. Some, the three biggest and, and strongest KPIs and metrics that I use are my mean time to identification, uh, my mean time to containment, and mean time to remediation. And I apply those three metrics across the different areas within my security program. So when we go back to identification, let's put it under the purview of vulnerabilities. How, how long does it take me to identify, contain, and resolve vulnerabilities and track whether I am accomplishing that within my policies and procedures that I set out? That allows organizations to set a baseline, right? Um, establish a baseline and, and determine the moving target from where you set out um, uh, to, to function and you can track and ensure the health of different functions within your security program, whether it's incident response, operations, engineering, so forth. I know other organizations, including ours, also track the number of security incidents, which can be categorized uh, in, in, different, uh, in different formats, whether it's inadvertent information disclosure, it, it could be an actual um, data loss event. Categorizing and tracking security incidents also helps you understand what is working and what is not working within your security program and where folks are being challenged the most. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, you've touched on a lot of aspects about cybersecurity here. What's the main takeaway? If you had one takeaway you'd want our audience to know about cybersecurity, cybersecurity best practices, what would that be? To sum it up, it would be the, the little things make the biggest difference. Don't ignore the, the basic building blocks of protecting uh, information and repeating those throughout your day-to-day. Your -day. If I could add one more line on there, it would be to think about information security, think about best practices in a way that how can you eliminate the concept of, of trust within your IT uh, and IT security organization. It sounds a bit scary to say that, wow, he doesn't want me to trust anybody, but when you, when you get down to it, um, security breaches and, and compromises are the result of the abuse of, of trust within an organization. So how can we structure our controls and protection mechanisms that we are only trusting those with the information when it's needed. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. Um, I wanna switch gears for a final question. Uh, the pandemic has stressed us in certain ways. It's put us into a new normal. Um, I've been asking guests on here what they've been doing to make sense of things, find some work-life balance, any hobbies or any other activities they've, uh, you know, taken part in to help them, you know, find some joy and happiness uh, during this time. What's, what's been top of mind to you? My biggest relief and biggest getaway has been spending increased time with 
my family. It, it has actually allowed us to uh, be able to focus more on uh, th things around uh, the house, so so common family activities, whether it's you know your your your, your board games, your your puzzles, um, uh, projects around the home, and exploring the community uh, in, in nature and areas around us that we probably wouldn't have put a lot of focus on historically due to uh, the the busy nature of uh, pre pre pandemic life. So finding the joys. In, in what's around and already available to us and building a strong family connection. Uh, as, as you know, though, with the restrictions lifted, we've, we've slowly uh, been able to, um, you know, get out and, and do some of those other hobbies in a, in a safe format that uh, we were able to do before the pandemic. But uh, it, it's been a eye-opener as far as uh, the, the connections you can you can make at home and the satisfaction that comes out of a strong family unit. All right. Well, that's wonderful. Rob, uh, I want to thank you for sharing that and sharing all of these ideas on cybersecurity with us. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to help. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Rob Lamania Ryder. And thanks to Ring Central for sponsoring this week's show. Ring Central is offering a free new ebook focusing on the payer provider relationship. Download your copy at go.ringcentral.com/mgma-healthcare. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.